Revelation chapter 1, what have you got, guys? Multitudinous Christ. Multitudinous Christ. So Rev 1, we'll, we'll, we'll pick this up later in our class tonight, talks to us about the multitudinous Christ. That means it's the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ and the saints together. Okay, Rev 2. Letters to the Ecclesias. Can can we remember any of the Ecclesias? Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, and Thyatira. Okay, so they've got it. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, and Thyatira. Rev 3. Letters to the Ecclesias again. Letters to the Ecclesias again. Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Excellent. Rev 4. I can't remember. Yeah. The okay. throne. The throne. Well, Lils, the Rev 4, the throne. Right, so there's your chapter heading. Key word in the chapter. Revelation 5. In the middle of the throne, what is there? A scroll, lamb. A lamb. The lamb. And so, so, so Rev 5 talks about the lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lord Jesus Christ who overcomes, and then there's the lamb uh, in the middle of the throne, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who, because of his sacrificial work, um, enables us to have our sins forgiven. Okay, Revelation chapter 6, key history chapter. Seven seals. Okay, but what particularly is the chapter about? Oh, the four horses. The four horses. Okay, give me the order of the horses. So those of you being into class, you'll remember the, the order of these horses. What colour is the first horse? Red. Or white. white. So the first horse is white. It talks to us about a time of... Bloodshed. White. White. Peace, isn't it? Peace, right? Yeah. Then the next horse is... Uh, red. And it talks to us about a time of... Bloodshed. So white, <laughs> red, then... Black. Black, then uh, green, chloros. Chloros, excellent, excellent, guys. So they're the key stages of the Roman Empire: a time of peace, a time of bloodshed, a time of famine, a time of death. And after the four horses of the apocalypse, after the the the, the those horses have gone out, Rome changes, and it goes from being pagan to being Christian. In fact, the rest of Revelation 6 looks almost like the kingdom picture. But it's not the kingdom. Who was the emperor that changed Rome from pagan Rome to Christian Rome? His name, girls, can you remember? Constantine. Constantine. All right. So Rev 7 then, give me a chapter heading. 144,000. So vision of the redeemed, 144,000. Revelation 8, we go back to history. So... Give me a chapter heading. The Barbarians. Excellent. That's what you want, the Barbarians. We won't go through the Barbarians uh, now, unless girls you particularly want to. No. No? So uh, if, you, if you need details on these things, then you'll have to text in and we'll try and sort them out on another night. Revelation 9. After the, the, the Revelation 8, the Barbarians, deals with the fall of Western Rome. That's Europe as we know it today. The likes of France and Spain and Germany and Italy. So that at the end of the year 476, Western Rome falls. The, the barbarians uh, take it. The, the, the last barbarian, uh, Odoacer, uh, that goes into Rome in 476, takes over. And so wrote, the city of Rome falls. But Rome's not dead. Because actually, Rome has been taken into the east. Think of Nebuchadnezzar's image. There's two legs on the image. And the capital is now going to be where, guys? Constantinople. Constantinople because it was Constantine, right? 
that Christianizes Rome and it's gone over to the east. So Constantinople is the capital of the eastern leg. And so Revelation 9 is about eastern Rome. And which, which uh, major powers start to move in? Islam. So the rise of Islam and the which key people? The Ottomans. The Ottoman Turks, the Ottoman Turks, excellent. So the date at the end of Revelation 9 is 1453, because that's the year that Constantinople falls. Okay, Revelation 10. Rainbow angel. Excellent. Your chapter heading is the rainbowed angel. Revelation 11. The two witnesses. The two witnesses, yeah. This is the Christians during the time when Ro the, the Roman Empire is trampling on uh, those who are trying to keep hold of their Bibles and learn the truth. And it takes us all the way through to the time of the French Revolution. Revelation 12. Constantine. Constantine again. Excellent. So Revelation 12 talks to us about the dragon power, the eastern side of Rome uh, and, and Constantine. Revelation 13. Two beasts, the one in the sea and the Okay, so, excellent, Lils. So, the beast of the sea, the beast of the sea, where does it come out of? Which sea? The Mediterranean. The Mediterranean, right? So, the beast of the sea is, is Europe as we know it, right? Uh, again, uh, sort of France, Italy, um, that, that region there. Then we have the beast of the earth. And the beast of the earth was the um, sort of France, northern um, uh, Europe, France, Germany, and the beast of the earth is very specific in that it's a ram, or, or, or a lamb rather, apologies, a lamb that speaks with the mouth of a dragon. This lamb has two horns, right? So it's a lamb, it looks lovely, but it speaks with the mouth of a dragon, right? And what that's telling us is it's the holy, the lamb section, Roman, it speaks with the mouth of a dragon empire. So it's got two horns. It's the Holy Roman Empire. Okay, and then at the end of Rev 13, we have, don't we, the image of the beast, which is uh, uh, talking to us about the papal states emerging in Italy there. Revelation 14. Uh, so so uh, Phoebe's just helpfully said the harvest, and she's absolutely spot on, that's at the end. But before that, the first half of the chapter, we're asked to follow the Lamb. So Rev 13 talks about those who follow the beast, if you like, those who've got the mark of the beast. But we want to have, if you like, the mark of the Lamb. And the, what we have to be prepared to do is follow the Lamb. So um, that's what we see in chapter 14, the first half. In the second half, it's divided into two sections. The second half is divided into two sections, and it's two major battles. The first is the Battle of Armageddon. Armageddon. Fantastic. The Battle of Armageddon. A heap of sheaves in a valley of threshing. It's the grain harvest. It's the Battle of Armageddon. The second section, the last bit of Revelation 14, is after the Battle of Armageddon, about 10 years later, we think, we don't know for sure, but about 10 years later, we believe, what, what's the next thing that's going to happen? Another battle, Another battle they're right. Um, the destruction of Rome. So Rome will be destroyed. And actually, it's that battle that we're going to be studying tonight when we get to chapter 19 shortly. Chapter 15, what's the picture? 
the saints in the kingdom excellent and what are the saints standing on a sea of glass so the sea represents the troubled nations the wicked isaiah tells us are like the troubled sea and so the sea represents the nations and in revelation 15 we are standing on the nations we're standing on a sea of glass it's just beautiful and flat and when we think of the lord jesus christ walking on water we're given a picture there aren't we of what we will be able to do so that's what revelation 15 is revelation 16 what's it about guys french revolution, french revolution. first part the first uh, six bars there the, the the time of the french revolution the first five then the sixth we see the Ottoman Empire being dried up and we see the frog-like spirits going out to bring the nations to Armageddon. Revelation 17. The woman, the, the woman riding the beast. So the woman is who? Uh, uh, no, Rome. The woman is Rome, the apostate church, the papacy, and she's riding the beast. What's the beast? Europe. Europe. Super stuff. So we're going to see the final destruction of the woman on the beast today. So the woman is riding the beast. The woman is the apostate church, the, the papacy, the pope, and they're riding the beast of Europe. So we've expected, and we looked in our study then, uh, how closely the, the pope is trying to influence the affairs of Europe today. And the European leaders are looking to the pope for uh, support and leadership. Okay, Revelation 18, we're nearly there. What was Revelation 18 about? The fall of Babylon. So in Revelation 18, we learn of the great fall of Babylon. And the call has been to the faithful, come out of her, my people. So the chapter heading for Revelation 18, the fall of Babylon. And the challenge for us is to get out while we can. So we come to chapter 19. And apologies for those of you... Uh, for whom you think, well, man, you know, I got all that cracked. Um, but hopefully, for a few of us, it was a helpful recap. And in chapter 19, we uh, read something amazing, because we're going to see the complete destruction now of the Roman system and the beast. Yet before that, there's a marriage. I'm going to suggest that we read it, because I think otherwise uh, we'll go into it rather blind. So I'm going to read for us Revelation 19. In fact, I'm going to do a verse, then Phoebe, then Lily will speak up, but you'll need to have your Bible open, and I suggest that you perhaps read around where you are or sort of follow carefully uh, with us, but make sure you're reading it really carefully um, in order to get it. <clears throat> so Revelation 19, verse 1. After these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia! Salvation and glory and honour and power to the Lord our God. The true and righteous are his judgments, for he has judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and has avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up for ever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God and sat on the throne, saying, Amen! Alleluia! And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and you that fear him, both small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be like the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. 
Let us be glad and rejoice and give honour to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted <clears throat> that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him, and he said to me, See thou do it not, I am thy fellow servant and thy brethren, that have the testimony of Jesus, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is, is the spirit of prophecy. We'll, actually, we'll stop there, and we'll continue when we get um, to, to those verses with that, because actually the chapter's rather helpfully sort of split in half for us. So, here we go. We sort of pretty much go, uh, you know, just logically and methodically through the chapter um, to help ourselves through this. So, after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia. Now, did you notice that we kept reading Alleluia? It was there in verse 1. Where else could you see it? Have a look carefully in the first few verses. Have you got it? So, verses, you've got it in verse 3. You've got it at the end of verse 4. You've got it at the end of verse 6. So I suggest you mark that up in your Bible. Perhaps circle it, colour it. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. We, we see the cry going up. Now, that's significant actually because we often think that we don't come across the name of Yah or Yahweh in the New Testament. Uh, we see it in the uh, in the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament where we know don't we that when we see Lord in capital letters actually that's Yahweh so uh, here in the New Testament we're given that lovely name hallelujah which of course speaks to us of I will be who I will be it's talking to us of the purpose of God and it's being called out now at the time of the end now, I want you to make a note in your margin or in your notebook of these psalms. Psalms 146 to 150. And we're not going to go there now, but we are going to go there. Psalm 146 to 150, you need to make a note of, because they are the Alleluia psalms, right? And you'll see that there's some significant detail in those psalms that we'll look at a little later on. But I want you to make a note. Hallelujah. For he judged the great hall. Note that. Here's the, he judged the great hall, that hall that we looked at in Revelation 17, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and has avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. Now, you remember that the saints, the, the servants of God, have for hundreds of years had the challenge of the Roman influence treading on them. I just put in my margin at the end of verse 2 there, Revelation 6. Just perhaps just quickly flick back to Revelation 6. Where you'll immediately recall we saw... In verse 9, when the fifth seal had been opened, under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God, notice that phrase, and for the testimony which they held. 
They cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge the blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given to every one of them. And it was said to them that they should rest for a little time. And now is the time that those faithful who for hundreds of years had to be persecuted by the Roman system, there will see shortly to be given their white robes. And these are those who through faith have overcome. And so back in Revelation 19 and verse 2, he's avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. For all the trampling of the system of Rome on those who tried to hold on to the word of God, it's now done. And in Revelation 19, we're seeing that God has taken control and the saints are now going to be part of those who avenge the blood of the servants who tried to faithfully hold on to the word of God. So in verse 3, <coughs> we read, And again they said, Hallelujah. Now, interestingly, that's the, the second time um, the, 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 in, in the revised version it says it doesn't say and again they said it says and a second time they said what did your version say? Where? in verse 3 once more they cried out once more they cried so yeah the revised version says a second time and I think it's certainly the idea of it being said again and I think this is quite significant because the suggestion is and I think it's a good one that when Rome collapses, it's first that the city collapses. And that's because of the earthquake that goes off across the world. And that earthquake, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back, he comes on to the Mount of Olives, um, and the Battle of Armageddon takes place, will destroy cities across the world, and Rome will collapse. But the second time, hallelujah, her smoke goes up forever and ever. And in Revelation 18, where we read about the smoke going up forever and ever. So I'll just turn back a page. Revelation 18, um, at the end of verse 9, we see the smoke of her burning. We believe that that's the system of Rome now collapsing too. Okay, so chapter, verse 4 of Revelation 19. The four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen and Alleluia. So who's this? Well, this is the saint, isn't it? We've seen this from chapter 4 or chapter 5 of Revelation. So, so here are the saints who are praising God. No wonder we're praising God because the blessings that have been bestowed upon us because here we are in this uh, special age. So, <clears throat> verse 6 we read, I heard as it were the voice. So, here's John hearing the voice of a great multitude as the voice of many waters. Now, have a look in your margin next to great multitude or many waters and see what it is that you've got in your margin there. So, just have a quick look. This is always the way to do Bible study. If you've got a good margin, it's such a help. So many waters. What have you got? Anyone here got anything? Ezekiel 124. 
So Beck's got Ezekiel 124. Great. So make a note of that. Ezekiel 124. Anyone else got anything else? Daniel 10.6. Daniel 10.6. Good one again. Okay. No, no one else can be anything. Yeah. I, I imagine that lots of you will have those references. Let me give you a couple more. Ezekiel 43 verses 1 to 3 would be a good reference for that. And e more easily than all of those, the multitudinous Christ, which chapter? Guys, which chapter would you write? Chapter 1. So just, for, just have a quick look. Revelation 1. Revelation chapter 1, we, we understand, we don't want to go into this tonight, but we understand this is talking to us about the Lord Jesus Christ as a multitude. And what do we see at the end of verse 15? Many His voice was as the voice of many waters, right? So you need to get a note next to Revelation 19 verse 6 that what we're seeing here is the Lord Jesus and the multitude, the saints. We're all together. So this is lovely because a picture is going to emerge of the Lord Jesus and the saints coming together. Actually, the, the waters are the symbol all the way through scripture of the nations. But here, when we've got this picture of many waters, go to Ezekiel 43 before we move on and you'll see that, that actually the, the, the picture being given to us is, if you like, of many and of many people. And where have we been redeemed from? Where have the saints come out of? We've come out of many nations, right? That's where we've been called from. So Ezekiel 43, Ezekiel is given a vision of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 1, so Ezekiel is brought to the gate, the, the gate that looks toward the east, and behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east. Think in Revelation 16, we saw the kings of the east coming in uh, to the city of Jerusalem. You think the saints are going to come onto the Mount of Olives. Where's the Mount of Olives in relation to Jerusalem? It's on the east. So the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east, and his voice was like the noise of many waters and the earth shine with his glory and ultimately of course that glory what do we know about the glory of God it's gonna cover the earth as what as the waters cover the sea so uh, we've been called out to the nations and what this is speaking to us now is the multitude of the Lord Jesus Christ so back in Revelation 19 let's go to verse 7 where we read, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honour to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. So, the, the wife, the bride, is ready. She's made herself ready. Can we think of any references where we see the Lord Jesus talking about us or, or in scripture the ecclesia being spoken of as a bride look in your margins Isaiah 54, 5. so Beck's gone Isaiah 54 5 I've got that in my margin I'm not going to go there but you can make that note as well there's a, uh, a New Testament one I want particularly 
I know that some of you are saying to the screen, Ephesians chapter 5, right? Well, that's where I want us to have a look. So keep a marker, but come to Ephesians chapter 5. where we see these lovely verses that we often see read, or hear, read at a wedding, don't we? Where we're told about wives and husband. So, verse 23, the husband is the head of the wife, just the same, or even as Christ is the head of the ecclesia. He's the saviour of the body. Therefore, as the ecclesia is subject to Christ, so let wives be subject to their husbands in everything. And so we're given this beautiful, beautiful picture, aren't we? To tell us about what marriage should be like for us. That the husband's job is to try to take on the role of the Lord Jesus Christ in leadership. And that the wife's job is to try to take on that job of the ecclesia, right? And so in Revelation 19, when we see the wife has made herself ready, we're about to see the marriage of the bride. Who's the bride? The ecclesia, the saint. The, the, the marriage of the Lamb, back to Revelation 19 and verse 7, is come. And his wife has made herself ready. So here's the question for us. Are we ready? It's not something that we can simply just turn up for and say, yeah, you know, I, I was hoping to be part of this. Yep, yep, now that you're here, I, I'd like to, um, you know, be in the kingdom, so, so I'd like to be part of this marriage. The wife has made herself ready. And this wife is in stark contrast to which character in verse 2? Phoebus has just told it for us, the great hall. So make a note between them. The wife is ready, unlike the great hall, who's going to be destroyed. And so it's not difficult, is it, to reflect on what it is to be a wife that's ready. The wife should be faithful, shouldn't she? As the husband should be, because the Lord Jesus Christ has been faithful to us. Are me and you faithful at the moment to these things? Are me and you making this the centre of our lives? Are we ensuring that in our actions every day, we're showing our faithfulness to our husband, the Lord Jesus Christ? There's a couple of lovely references that we probably should just go to. Just go to Psalm 45. So Psalm 45 is a beautiful psalm that talks to us of the marriage. And we see that the, the bride who comes to the marriage is beautiful. My heart is indicting a good matter. I speak of the things which I have made touching the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Thou art fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips. 
Therefore God hath blessed thee for ever. And we, we see that this lovely bride, verse 11, So shall the king greatly desire thy beauty, for he is thy Lord, and worship thou him. But this beautiful daughter, king's daughter, look at her, verse 13. The king's daughter is all glorious within. And that's beautiful, isn't it? That actually what the Lord Jesus Christ is looking at in his bride isn't the outward appearance, thankfully, but rather the inward one. But that's pretty sobering too, isn't it? Because no one else sees what we're like on the inside. But the Lord Jesus Christ can. He can see everything about us and our characters. He sees everything we do that no one else sees. He knows our thoughts. He knows what we're like on the inside. Which is a great blessing. But it's also something we need to give real consideration to. The king's daughter was glorious within. And her clothing is of wrought gold. What's that? What gold speak to us of in scripture? Phoebus just told us, tried faith. What? has the bridegroom been to the bride the bridegroom's been faithful what does the bride need to be to the bridegroom what do we need to be we need to be faithful so her clothing is of wrought gold so let's really think on those things because we want to be part of the bride the multitudinous christ the ecclesia the saints, that body, at the marriage. Come back to Revelation 19. Another reference that we not, don't have time to go to tonight is Proverbs 31. But you'll see, you'll remember that Proverbs 31 talks to us about the virtuous woman, doesn't it? And the characteristics of the virtuous woman. And if we look at some of those characteristics, it might help us to really consider what makes that bride so lovely inside the type of things that she does and particularly at the moment while many of us are sort of stuck in our homes and our houses there's perhaps more time than we ordinarily have to start to try to do some of those things to organize our lives that we might be a support and help to others which we really can if we're willing and able we might not be able to go and see them in the same way but with the technology we've got today we can certainly help okay back to chapter 19 and verse 8, to her, so the bride, to the bride was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. Now we're not righteous, are we? None is righteous except God. And obviously the Lord Jesus Christ. But we can be made righteous by which key characteristic? What was counted to Abraham for righteousness? Come on, you know. Faith, right? What's the bride got to have? She's got to have that gold, right? We've got to be faithful. So we can be made righteous if we're prepared to believe, have faith in these things. Do we believe this is going to happen? 
Surely we do with the signs we're watching at the moment. Do we really believe it? If we do, then, and we show our faith in action, because faith without works is dead, then we will be arrayed in this fine linen. Now look at your margins around the fine linen. See if, what references that you've got. I'm going to give you a couple. I want you to first have a look at chapter 3. And chapter 3, you remember, you told me a minute ago, was the Ecclesias. And just have a look at chapter 3 and where we read about the fine linen or the, the white linen. Where do we read it? Can you see? So, Bex has just told us in verse 5, great stuff, and in verse 18. Right now, it's verse five, verse eighteen. Apologies that I really want you to look at because <laughs> verse five is really significant too. They both matter, but verse eighteen I want you to look at because I'm saying that because poor old Beck's feeling sad because she came up with verse five. Significant, but verse eighteen is really really important for us because it was written to the angel of the ecclesia of the Laodiceans, and do you remember? Were they a wicked ecclesia? Were they a good ecclesia? What were they? They were lukewarm. In fact, that's pretty much the worst of the lot, you know? If you're lukewarm, you're neither, look, verse 15, you're neither cold nor hot. So much so, the end of verse 16, God says, I'll spew thee out of my mouth, right? That's what the Lord Jesus Christ says to John. So he says to them, I counsel thee to what? Buy of me gold. gold. Right? This is why we're here. Do you see? Tried in the fire that you might be rich and white garments that you might be clothed. So, do you see that actually the very characteristic that made that ecclesia lukewarm is that they had everything. They were loaded, the Laodiceans. They had so much money that in the world's eyes they had the lot. Right? But actually, look, verse 17 says, you say you're rich and you've increased with goods and you've got, you've got need of nothing. Don't you know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked? Why? Because they haven't bought faith. So they're told, I counsel thee to buy of me gold, tried faith, that is, that thou mayest be rich and the white garments the righteousness of the saints. What, what makes the saints righteous? Not their own works, but faith, right? So the point being for us, go back to Revelation 19, that actually that fine linen will only be given to us if we have faith in these things, right? We're not expected to do the most amazing things. We're not expected to climb mountains, to do great works. We're expected to have the faith in this sacrifice and because we believe it so much naturally we want to live lives of thankfulness for it another reference that you could put in your margin we won't go there but would be Leviticus chapter 6 Leviticus chapter 6 and verse 10 or Leviticus chapter 16 verses 2 to 4 and you have a think who do you think is speaking about in Leviticus which type of people yeah Phoebus has just told us the priests so 
in the kingdom. It's a kingdom of, Revelation chapter 5, a kingdom of priests. So this is what our role is going to be. All right? So now, verse 9. Now this is really important. So just focus really carefully for a second. What has, what's happened at the end of verse 7? The wife has made herself ready. So because she's ready, what takes place? So the wife is ready, and so there is the marriage. Now where's the marriage going to take place? So the bride is brought to the bridegroom. Yeah, the bride is brought to the bridegroom. You think we see that in weddings today. The bride comes down the aisle, doesn't she, to meet the bridegroom, where the wedding takes place. We understand that's a picture given to us in the very beginning with Adam and Eve, that, that Eve was brought to Adam. We're going to be brought, just come back, keep a marker, and come back to one thing. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, go to the end of the chapter where we see the time of the end when the resurrection takes place. So let me just go in at verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive, this is us, we pray, if the Lord comes tomorrow, comes tonight, this is us. Those of us who are alive and remain at the coming of the Lord shall not prevent that. Simply in your mind, think all that means is shall not go before. So we won't go before those who. So those of us who are alive and remain when the Lord comes will be called away. But the dead in Christ will have risen first. Verse 17. Then we which are alive and remain. So who are we talking about? The saints, the, the, the ecclesia. We're going to be caught up together to meet in, there's no definite article there, to meet in clouds, to meet with the multitude of the clouds. Hebrews chapter 12, the cloud of witnesses, to meet the Lord, right? Now, we're not going to go through those verses again. We've looked at those in our class already. But we're going to be called to go and meet the Lord. What's that like? It's like the marriage bride is being called to meet the bridegroom now 1 Thessalonians 4 those of you who've been coming to class you're going to have in your margin references back to which book of the law have you got it Exodus Exodus chapter 19 and where are the children of Israel in Exodus chapter 19? Where are they? Which mountain are they at? Sinai, right? So, come back to Revelation 19. Here's the question we posed. Where does the marriage take place? And the answer is Sinai. The marriage takes place when the bride is called away, or the saints are called and we're taken away and then those of us who are blessed enough through our faith and God's grace and kindness to be brought into the kingdom age that is where the marriage takes place but now look at verse 9 
So where's the marriage taking place? Sinai. But verse 9, we go to a new section. He said to me, Right, blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper. What's the difference? One is the marriage, the other is the marriage supper. Where's the marriage? The marriage is first. So you need to note this in verse 7. The marriage is in Sinai. The marriage supper, you tell me, where do you think it is? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Give, give me the mountain, if you like. Oh, well, Zion, right? So Zion. Phoebe's rightly said Jerusalem. Let's go down for Zion. So... Verse 9, the marriage supper, we believe, isn't in Sinai. So after the marriage, the saints are able to go out and the, the, the march of the rainbow angel takes place. Revelation 10, as the saints uh, take out, the thunders go, the, the, the war takes place, uh, wars across the, the, the Middle East as we move up to Jerusalem to save the tents of Judah, to come into uh, the Jews who are in dire straits because the Gogian Confederacy has surrounded Jerusalem. But it's not until we get to Jerusalem, we get to Zion, and Zion is taken, that the married supper takes place. Let me show you. Key reference for this is Isaiah 25. So will you go and have a look there? And you need to make a note in your margin next to Revelation 19 verse 9 of Isaiah 25 and verse 6. So let's go there. So Isaiah 25. You just need to go back a little bit to see the context. Look at the end of chapter 24. Don't forget in the Hebrew there's no chapter division. But look at the end of chapter 24. Where are we? Have a look. We're in Mount Zion. Right? So now, keep reading. And jump down to verse 6, where we read, And in this mountain, Zion, shall Yahweh of armies make unto all people a feast of fat things, a feast of wine on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of wines on the lees, well refined. So what we've got a picture of there is the marriage supper. Look, if you carry on, you'll recognise in verse 8, he will swallow up death in victory, that's 1 Corinthians 15, and the Lord God will wipe away all tears from awful faces, that's Revelation 21, isn't it? So we believe that the marriage supper takes place at Zion, when the bride is able to sit with the bridegroom and share in that feast, which is the very feast that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke to his disciples of when he was in the upper room. And he said to them, as he, they took the bread and they took the wine, he said, I, I will not have the opportunity, I won't do this with you again until I come. And so this is that. When he drinks anew with us in the kingdom, uh, that 
feast that remembers his sacrifice will be repeated. So, Revelation 19, I hope you're back there, verse 9. I've got Isaiah 25. The dog's coming up to say hello. Sit down, Buster. Next to verse 9, hopefully you've got Isaiah 25 and verse 6. And another good reference would be Ezekiel 43, verses 1 to 3. And another one I think is helpful, Ezekiel 44, uh, verse 2 and 3. You can look at those in your own time. I'm conscious of our time moving away. I'm not even halfway through the chapter. So, let's just jump on, if we may. Just note verse 10. We see that John is told that he shouldn't be worshipping the angel. Uh, that's not what is required. Only God should be given the glory due um, for what John has just seen. So verse 11, let's read this round together and we'll read down to the end of the chapter. So Revelation 19, I'll start verse 11 and we'll read round. And I saw heaven opened. Behold, a white horse and he that sat on him was called Faithful and True and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that which it, it uh, that that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. He has on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God, that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beasts, and the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse, and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. All right, so let's have a go at this. We've got about 20 minutes or so to try and crack a few bits here. Let's, we'll try and move at a bit of a pace. I saw heaven open, verse 11, and a white horse, and he that sat on him was called Faithful and True. Now, obviously, this is talking to us, isn't it, about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's sitting here on a white horse. Now, we learn of um, a horse in Zechariah. Just quickly go back to Zechariah, because I want to make a point that's significant for us here. Because when we look at this in Zechariah chapter 10, verse 4, or verse 3, what we see is that this white horse... This goodly horse, as described in Zechariah chapter 10, is speaking to us of more than simply the, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's going to be a picture that's going to build, it's going to include us, but specifically, here in Zechariah chapter 10, 
look who's there. He shall make them as his goodly horse in the battle. Who's, who, who is he going to make as his goodly horse in the battle? Who is it? Look in verse 3 of Zechariah 10. Just before it says, at the end of verse 3, who is it that's going to be the goodly horse in the battle? Zechariah 10. Zechariah 10 and verse 3. Who is it? The flock of the house. So just turn over. Zechariah 12, verse 7. The Lord also shall save the tents of Judah first. So when we're back in Revelation 19 and verse 11 and we see the horse going out, we're understanding now that this horse that's going to go out to destroy has got a Jewish element to it. And this is so significant because the Jews are going to be central to the kingdom. Me and you, we're going to be like the angels, as it were. We're going to be uh, immortal, but the Jews who uh, are still alive at the time of the end and who do accept the Lord Jesus Christ, and many will, sadly many will have been destroyed, but those who accept the Lord Jesus Christ and recognise him whom they pierced and mourn for him, they're going to very quickly become part of the armies that go out. And so this horse speaks to us not just of the Lord Jesus, the faithful and true one, but it also speaks to us of Zechariah chapter 10, that the Jewish people are going to be part of this army to go out. Okay, verse 12. His eyes was a flame of fire, his head, uh, and on his head were many crowns, or the, the word there really is diadems. But why is he wearing many crowns or diadems? What, what is it about him? that he's got all these crowns on. Well, the battles have already been taking place. As the march of the rainbow angel goes out, Egypt will be taken. The, many of the Arab territories will be taken. Edom, Moab, before the Lord Jesus Christ comes into Jerusalem, the battle of Armageddon will have taken place by now. And so many nations and kings will be falling down before him. And as they fall down, what will they have to do? Go to Psalm 72. Let's go to Psalm 72. Verse 11. Yea, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. Now, if a king falls down before the Lord Jesus Christ... They'll have to lay their crown at his feet, right? That's how we understand historically a king recognises that his authority is gone and the crown is given to another. And so the Lord Jesus Christ in, in Revelation 19 has is wearing many crowns or diamonds because the battles are being won. And the kings, Psalm 72, verse 11, are falling down at his feet. Then we notice, verse 13, he's clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. Well, clearly we understand, don't we, that this is talking to us about the sacrificial work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of the victory of the Lamb, the one whose vesture's dipped in blood, this we're able to uh, be part of these blessings. And we read that his name, which no one knew at the end of verse 12, look at the end of verse 2, verse 12 rather, he had a name written at the end of verse 12, 
which no man knew but he himself. But we know what the name is, because we're told in verse 13, his name is called the Word of God. Who's this? Who was called the Word of God? The Lord Jesus Christ. Give me a reference. John 1. John 1 verse what? John 1 verse 1. But actually, a, 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 perhaps an easier reference for us is John 1 verse 14. The Word was made flesh. The Word was made flesh, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father. So John 1 verse 14 is a good one. His name is called the Word of God. The Lord Jesus Christ is the Word. He's the Word of God, which is going out. And this is so critical to how this battle, or these battles, are going to be won. Verse 14, the armies which were in heaven, so there's Jews, we understand with him, from verse 11, we saw, didn't we, that the horse goes back to Zechariah chapter 10, the tents of Judah, the house of Judah. But look in verse 14, we've also got armies in heaven following him on white horses. Who's that? It's us, right? Yes, the saints. It's, it, 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 you know, it's the angels, right? It's the, those who are immortal, who follow him, and we're also on white horses. But notice what we're clothed in? Fine linen, white and clean. So those who've been faithful are able to join this army. Verse 15, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. Now, in, next to verse 15, I want to give you some key references. So, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. Have a look in your margins. What have you got there already? Chapter 116. Chapter 116. What else have you got? Isaiah 11.4. Isaiah 11, Okay, let me give us some then. So, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that he should smite the nations and rule them with a rod of iron and he treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. So we're going to work backwards. He treads the winepress. Those of you who have been to Revelation class, where do we read about the treading of the winepress? Or those of you who haven't been, where do we read about it? Which chapter? Fourteen. Chapter 14, excellent. Chapter 14, do you remember? There were two battles. The first was the battle of the grain harvest, the battle of Armageddon, a heap of sheaves in the valley of threshing. The second, at the end of the last battle of chapter 14, is the treading of the winepress. And here we have it in verse 15. So you need to make a note Next to the treading of the winepress, 19, uh, or rather, Rev 14, verses 19 to 20. Rev 14, 19 to 20. That's next to the winepress in verse 15. So this is talking to us. The treading of the winepress is after Armageddon. The heap of sheaves, the valley of threshing, that's taken those nations Many of those kings have put their crowns at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's wearing the crowns. Which major power is rising up 
and telling many of the nations to come together again to fight against the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is it going to be? Rome. Rome. So this is the Roman system rising up. And we'll see from the, in the rest of the chapter shortly who this Roman system is uh, uh, made up of. Let's just work back chapter verse 15. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. What Have you got a psalm for ruling with a rod of iron? Psalm 2. Excellent. Go and have a look at Psalm 2. Because Psalm 2 is speaking very specifically about this period of history. And I say history, it hasn't yet happened. About this period of the future. So the psalmist is inspired to ask the question, why do the heathen, why do the nations rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his noiters, saying, let's break their bands and cast them away from, that cast their cords from us. But he that sits in the heavens shall laugh, the Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak to them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. The Lord Jesus has come into Jerusalem. He's come into Zion. And so what's he going to do, verse 9? Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And now this is lovely. Look, look at verse 10. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, put your crowns, kiss his feet, put your crowns at his feet. Lest he be angry and perish from the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. So the nations are given the opportunity to submit. Lay your crowns at his feet. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry. And those of them who are prepared to do that will not be destroyed if they've been fortunate not to have not been destroyed already in the battle of Armageddon. So coming back to Revelation 19, we saw it at the end of verse 15 that the wine press, this is Roman systems being destroyed. We've seen halfway through the verse, he'll rule them with a rod of iron, that the nations are having to recognise the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what is it that's going out of his mouth what is this sharp sword that he's allowing him to smite the nations? Hebrews chapter 4. Go to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4, verse 12. Now think, what is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ back in Revelation 19 and verse 13. His name is called the Word of God, right? Now, go to Hebrews 4. For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, the joints and marrow, and the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And that's why me and you have got to work on the gold on the inside. 
that when the Lord Jesus looks at us as his bride, like we saw in Psalm 45, and he can see our inward parts, it's that that's got to be beautiful. Because he can look at us, and like a two-edged sword that can go straight through us, he can see every aspect of us now being used against the nations. And isn't it such an irony? Because the beast system that trod down the saints, what was it that the beast system didn't allow the saints to have? In Revelation 11, what did the two witnesses try to keep hold of for 1,260 years? They tried to hold on to the word. And now the irony is that it's the word that's going out to destroy that system. I asked you at the beginning of our session to make a note of which psalms next to Revelation 19 and verse 1. The Alleluia Psalms. Which Psalms were they? 146 to 150. Quickly go back there. Keep a marker. Go back to those Psalms. Psalms 146 to 150. We just read them recently, haven't we? So look, Psalm 146, look how it starts. Praise ye the Lord. Alleluia. Alleluia. Psalm 147, how does it start? Alleluia. Psalm 148. Alleluia. Alleluia. Psalm 149. And Psalm 150. Do you see? These are these Alleluia Psalms. Now look carefully. Psalm 149 and verse 5. Let this, the Psalm, look, look at verse 1 for a start. See the whole thing in our praise. Sing to the Lord a new song. Now we know that in the kingdom age we'll be singing a new song. We read about that song. But then go down to verse 5. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. Let the high praise of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. What That they might, verse 7, execute vengeance upon the heathen and punishments on the people to bind their kings with chains, their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute upon them the judgment written this honour have all his saints. Hallelujah. So our job is going to be as the saints to go out with the two-edged sword. What is it? It's the word of God. But isn't it lovely that this is in the context of the singing of a new song? Verse 6, let the high praise of God be in their mouth. Now can any of you remember... A battle that was won by singing. Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, excellent. Now, that battle, Jehoshaphat, where, can you read, can anyone remember of a minor prophet that talks to us at all about that? Anyone remember? Not in this room, no? Anyone remember online? You getting there? Okay, let's just have a quick look then. Uh, go on, Beck. Joel. Joel. So just go to Joel. Joel. 
Joel 3, where are the nations gathered? Joel 3 and verse 2, where are they, valid? Where are they, where are they uh, gathered? I'll gather all nations. Now, this is actually speaking of Armageddon, but all the same, it's hugely significant that we see these things being repeated. Verse 2, I will gather all nations, will bring them to the valley of Jehoshaphat. What does Jehoshaphat mean? Yahweh will judge. Thanks, Lil. So, so there the nations are going to be judged. The valley of Jehoshaphat. Where do we read of Jehoshaphat? Come on, give me a reference. Two Chronicles. Excellent. 20. Come on, let's go. Two Chronicles 20. We've only got a few minutes left. Two Chronicles 20. And in Two Chronicles 20, you remember the story that the, the Ammonites and the Moabites are coming against Jehoshaphat and all the people are there with their children, their families, and they're so worried. Look, verse 13. All Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And they're so frightened because the armies of a massive army, a huge army. Look, verse 2. It was a great multitude that was coming against them. And so no wonder they were so frightened. And yet they're told that they don't look this. Verse 17. Verse 16. Tomorrow... Go you down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz. You shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jerul. You shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourself, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against you. And so, in faith, they go out. Now, if you're getting this battle, if you get your army ready to go out, what would you do? Would you do what Jehoshaphat does? Look what he's asked to do. Verse 21. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto Yahweh that should praise the beauty of holiness. And as they went out before the army, you can imagine the faithfulness of those singers. They'd be saying, Look, do you mind? Would it be all right if some of the horses go first? Or, you know, maybe we'll just have. Can you get the SAS to go ahead, right? Uh uh. The singers are going first. And as they go, what do they say? Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. Hallelujah. And when they began to sing and to praise, look what happens. They go out and they go and they come, verse 24, to the watchtower of the wilderness. And they looked to the multitude and they were dead bodies. So when we take all of that back to Revelation chapter 19, what we believe is that this great battle is being won, not by us going out with machetes and machine guns and the weapons of war as they're seen today. That's what man's going to have. But they'll come to nothing because we will go out with a two-edged sword coming out of our mouth. The word of God. We will go out praising him. And in so doing, the armies of Rome in Revelation 19 are going to be destroyed. Now our time is pretty much gone. But I'm hoping that you can hang in there. And let's see if we can, in five minutes or so, finish the rest of the chapter. So verse 17. Uh, verse 16, apologies. So he had on his vesture and on his thigh a name written. 
Now, you haven't necessarily got time to go there, but I'm going to make a note while I turn there for you. On Next to the thigh, put Psalm 45 and verse 3. Let me read to you what that says. Psalm 45, verse 3. Don't forget, we've been to Psalm 45 already about the marriage and about the characteristic of the bride. But the Lord Jesus, is, we read, Gird thy sword upon thy thigh, O most mighty, with thy glory and thy majesty. So isn't it lovely that he hath on his garment, on his thigh, a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords, that he is the one with the sword going out. So verse 17, I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together to the supper of the great God. So do you remember that in Psalm 2, the nations were given opportunities to submit. And those nations can come and join the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe that the likes of Tarshish and the young lions, after the Jews, will be amongst the first and many of the Arab nations to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about what we're seeing today with so many of the Iranians who are coming over to the UK as asylum seekers who are so quickly accepting the things we believe because they don't believe in the Trinity. They don't believe the doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church. And so those peoples, these those Muslim nations at the moment, will be amongst some of the first to recognise the Lord Jesus Christ and to join, to come and gather themselves together to the supper of the great God. Uh, a good reference to have in your margin there is Daniel 4 verse 12, where you remember that the birds that come into the tree speak of the nations. Okay, uh, time, let's just jump ahead here. Um, verse 19. I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him, who is him, which the Lord Jesus Christ that sat on the horse, and against his army. Who's the army? The saints. So the beast, who's the beast, guys? Right, Europe, the European powers, right? That's okay. They come out of Rome. So the beast is the European powers. But who's with the beast? Verse 20. The beast is going to be taken by the armies of the Lord Jesus. The beast is taken, and with him, who? Who's the false prophet? The Pope, right? So, excellent. So, the, the Pope, the papacy, has got together the beast, the European powers, and said, come on, let's rise up against them. We want nothing to do with this man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we shouldn't be surprised, by the way. Let me just see if I can quickly show you this. Can you see what's on the screen there? Can you see that? Can you see anything on the screen except me? I don't know if you can. Yeah, you can. Have a, have a look on the screen uh, there. This is the teaching of the, the, the Catholics about the one who's going to come back to the world. Look at this. I'm just showing this. this look, look at the reference. It's from the Catholic.com website. Talking about Antichrist. So they're going to tell the whole world that there's a man. In fact, they're already telling him, telling the world. Above all, he'll love the nation of the Jews. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ, we've already seen, is going to go to save the tents of Judah. After that, what's he going to do? He'll build a temple in Jerusalem. Well, the, the marriage supper will take place. A temple will begin to be built. 
who restore it again speedily and give it over to Jews. This is exactly what scripture tells us the Lord Jesus Christ is going to do. And so the characteristics that the Catholic Church right now teach about Antichrist, no wonder they're going to be able to get the beast system. The false prophet's going to say to the beast, look, we told you, that's Antichrist. And so the beast system, which of course we know, don't we, is made up of those European nations, most of whom are very much Catholic. That beast system is going to be with the false prophet when they are utterly destroyed. And so verse 20 we read, The beast was taken within the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These were cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the remnant was slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth. And all the fowls were filled with their flesh. And so we see the triumph in verse 21. The triumph over the beast and the false prophet. What have they tried to stop people having? The word. The word of God. And the triumph in verse 21 is of the word of God. And so, what an amazing thing that we can see taking place in the world today when we're watching the European powers looking at the Pope for guidance. And that Pope is going to ride that beast system into battle. But they're going to come against the battle of the Lord Jesus Christ on a white horse. And with him, us on white horses spiritually speaking of course and a two-edged sword is going to come out of our mouth the word of god which is going to destroy those nations and so we're reminded as the people that are destroyed with that beast system are all those look through halfway through verse 20 who will be deceived by him that received the mark of the beast and that worshipped his image. What are we worshipping? You think in the book of Daniel in Babylon, where all this story starts really, there were many that were prepared to bow down and worship the image of Nebuchadnezzar. And the faithful, Hananiah, Shadrach, Mishael, they were prepared, weren't they, to not bow down to that image. And when the worldly music went off, they stood aside. They had to go through fire. But that fire tried their faith. And as a result, they're going to share in the blessings to come. And the challenge for me and you is right now to come out of Babylon. Let me tell you something marvellous. In the school systems, which I'm a part of, Today and in the UK, we've seen like nothing else this last year, the systems of Babylon being pushed through. You know what I'm talking about in the Equality Act and all that goes with it. And at that time, when perhaps many were thinking, should we take our children out of school? Can we think about sending our children to school? What's happened? A global pandemic's taken place. And everyone's out of school. 
And so are we using this time where we've been brought out of this system of Babylon, whether you like it or not. You're now in your home with your family. We're sharing this experience together, aren't we, tonight online. And as we reflect on the system of Babylon, let's be grateful that right now we're out of that system. But let's make certain that we're using it to allow the word of God, the thing that's going to defeat the Babylon system, to be at the centre of our lives. Do the readings each day. Get your family doing those readings. Support and build each other up with it. Because faith, which we need at that last day, to wear those white linen garments, to be golden as it were, if we want to be there, we've got to build our faith. And faith comes by hearing, and hearing this word, the word that will defeat the system of Babylon. Okay. Okay, guys, so our class next week, God willing, is going to uh, start at the same time. Um, we're going to run a class, uh, if we're able to, each Monday. Um, we'll finish the book of Revelation, and then what we'll start looking at um, is some of the signs of the times, and we'll try and piece together some of the um, pictures around the coming um, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and then perhaps we can look at another study together uh, if we're given that time.